Hey folks, thanks for joining me for this episode of the Embellish Podcast, a podcast focused on product stories, product storytellers, interesting brand ambassadors, and anything else that I happen to come up with. Whether you're a bourbon fan, a geek, a casual observer, or someone just floating through this channel, I hope you find it interesting. If you got here by chance, please take a moment to hit the, hit the subscribe button. Hopefully that can be found on any podcasting platform that exists. And if you can't find me on a platform, send me an email at embellishpod at gmail.com. And I'll try to get that taken care of. I also generally live stream the recording of these episodes on YouTube. You can find all of my links on Instagram at embellishpod or Twitter with the same handle. I have a website. It is www.embellishpod.com. It's a place to pick up these links, episode details, and more. Today is Sunday, December the 18th, and we're talking with David Jennings. And if you don't know... Who David Jennings is, you may know who Rare Bird One on One is, and if you don't know that, then you're probably not here because uh, most everybody that's going to hop on and listen to this is going to have a good idea who you are. But um, for anyone who might be new, who might have no idea of who David Jennings or Rare Bird One on One, or um, you know, the maybe the most renowned turkey expert in the industry right now, just kind of give me a give me a couple minutes on who you are, David. Okay, well, I'm definitely no whiskey expert. Uh, that's Jimmy and Eddie, but. I am Wild Turkey's probably their their biggest fan, maybe second to a buddy of mine, David James, who's been a Turkey fan a lot longer than I have. But uh, anyway, uh, I started writing about Wild Turkey back in 2016 after getting into whiskey a couple years before that and uh, had a, have a blog called Rare Bird 101. Didn't start on a blog. I started writing reviews for Reddit and did a lot of turkey reviews and figured I probably ought to have a place to archive them. Never thought it would take off into what it has. Uh, in 28, around 2018 or so, I started thinking about doing a book. And by 2019, I was uh, pretty much uh, rolling forward with it pretty quickly. Uh, and in 2020, that was released, and that was called American Spirit. That's my first book. And, uh, and then a couple of years later, uh, I did another book called Wild Turkey Musings, and it's out now. It's my latest. Uh, it's basically a, a compilation of the best of my blog for the first five years of my blog. It's like a celebration, my fifth year anniversary. So uh, I went through and, and picked through about 300,000 words or more and tried to find the best uh, articles and reviews and, and posts about various things and, and put them into a compilation that made sense. It sounded easy. It was a lot harder than I thought it would be. And then I added, of course, my author's notes to that and uh, all new photography. And uh, thanks to the help of a very uh, generous group of folks on Kickstarter. So anyway, the official release date is February, but it's out now. Actually, if you just order it from my publisher, it's on pre-sale, but I've talked to them about just, just, and told them just go ahead and mail them because I want I want folks to have them now. So, um, but that's a little bit about kind of where I started and and where I'm at now. So I've uh, I kind of give you a little bit of background here. I, I started this podcast a couple of years ago, and the first year, you know, my ultimate goal was to have interviews to be able to talk to people like you, um, authors, you know, brand type folks, whatever, because that's where the interesting conversations happen. But I wanted to you know like okay, I'm going to do a year where I'm going to do research and I'm going to like make sure that this is a hobby that I'm going to keep up with. So I don't waste anybody's time once I get to the interviews. And so I spent a little bit of time going out and buying books. So that way, cause 
I'm old enough that when I do research, I need a physical copy. Now I'll still do a ton of internet research, listen to blog, you know, podcasts or whatever else. And so your first book is, you know, one of the first things that I picked up American spirit, awesome. I pick it up, you know, it's a thing that I can go back to and I can refer to if I'm talking about wild, wild Turkey for anything. And so whenever wild Turkey musings um, kind of became a thing within Kickstarter, I was like immediately, I know that I need to to get in early on this so I can um, have a copy of it, you know, be able to kind of refer back to it as well. I still do a lot of those things, but I, you know, I'm old enough. I had a blog. I've had several blogs, right? And you know, it was around the time frame that everyone was, or not everyone. Some people were starting to make careers out of blogs, and I wanted to be like that kind of person. But I found like I'm a terrible writer. I'm all right with the spoken word, but I'm not very good at writing. But you, on the other hand, sort of. Like there, there's a specific talent here, and I think, and this is going to be part of the question, but I think the reason is that you're passionate about the particular topic that you're writing about, and that sort of shows through. Um, and, and Wild Turkey happens to be that. And so, uh, why, why Wild Turkey? Of all the the brands that could exist out there, like why was Wild Turkey the one? Well, before I answer that, uh, thank you for supporting, uh, you know, my writing through purchasing books and Kickstarter and and it, having me on your podcast. So thank you. Um, yeah, it is, it is about passion. Uh, you know, I never really wanted to be a writer for a living. Um, I always enjoyed writing music. Like for years I was a songwriter and I really enjoyed the lyrical part of that. Um, and I, and I, I felt like I was an okay writer in, in school. Um, but, but, you know, outside of crafting some some long emails. I didn't really use it in my, my employment that often. I worked uh, in the insurance industry for a bank for 24 years. Um, so it was a nice outlet to have this side hobby where I could, uh, you know, write about whiskey and just kind of explore that kind of creative, you know, aspect of, of my life, uh, through writing. Uh, and then it just, it turned into, a full-time gig over time. And I never really expected that uh, to happen, but it did. And uh, if, if I really feel like if you are passionate about something and you put 110% into that, you know, who knows, who knows where it'll go, but at the very least it'll make you happy and people will realize that and they'll appreciate it more you know, because they know that you're just not churning something out just to do it. Um, I could not do, you know, there's a lot of folks that write very well for various whiskey publications online and in print. I couldn't do what they do because they have to like be able to do that every week or month for a new brand. And I'm guessing I could be wrong, but I'm guessing that not every single piece is something they're very interested in maybe mildly interested in or curious about, but, um, and I would, I would find it very hard to have that type of, of writing job. And and my hat goes off to them for being able to do that. Um, because I have to kind of be in a zone when I write and it has to be something I like to feel. And if I sit there and just peg it out on the keyboard, it just doesn't feel right. Uh, Sometimes I do that anyway, because I do think that you can get out of practice. Um, and I read something years ago that Stephen King had had said or written about making sure that you write every day, mm-hmm. um, even if it's total garbage, because sometimes just by sitting down and, and forcing yourself to kind of do it, 
you will get into a zone uh, and come up with something nice. But if you don't, at least you put in the effort and you tried and maybe you, you cranked out some ideas that weren't good in the first place. So you're wasting your time anyway. Um, and you learned that, you know, well, next time I'm going to take it from a different angle. So um, it's not always easy, but um, mm-hmm. I try to have fun with it. Yeah. And I've, I've read similar things. If I think about, you know, George, uh, George Martin, who who wrote the, the Game of Thrones series, you know, he, he, he said in the past, he tries to write, you know, you know, 500 pages a day out of which maybe one, is good, right? So, but right. that's what they—I mean, that's what you sort of have to slog through. And you know, you kind of touched on writing on assignment, and you know, folks that do that. And I mean, it, it, that, that's that's an incredible talent. But mm-hmm. um, there's something about a soul of being able to write something that you're you're deeply touched to, like you kind of put soul into to the to the writing of it. But you you touched on a thing, and I had it for like way later, you know, because I, I listened to Bourbon Turntable on a regular basis, and you were on with them recently. Where can we find David Jennings songwriting? <laughs> is, that, is that out there? Is that in the ether? Or was it because I think that you and I are similarly aged enough where maybe some of the things we did are not necessarily available on the Internet. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's a bad thing. But like, if, if you go to the right, there? if you go to the right dungeons of the Internet, you might find some things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's nothing, you know, that that's out there actively promoted. I'm not on YouTube or anything like that. I'll just leave mm-hmm. it at that. <laughs> if you're that interested, you can do, do a little sleuthing. <laughs> And, and and maybe find it. So it's not completely off the internet, but very little mm-hmm. is, is left out there, uh, mainly because I can't remember the login to that particular website to get in and take it down. So it'll just stay up forever. But anyway, yeah, there's some stuff yeah. floating around out there. Okay. So, you know, writing a book is, is no small feat. And I've, I've been fortunate enough to have several authors on this year. Um, and you know, being an author of a book, being part of a production of a book, I've got a friend that's written before and, and depending upon kind of where you are on the, the, the scale of how you involved you are in the production of it, you may be a a huge part of design and layout. You may not be any part of it. Like how how much of this was, was you like, you know, you obviously did the writing, um, but were you in like helping with the design and layout of the pages? Because I mean, it's a really, really attractive book. Like if you actually open it up and well, thank you. Uh, yes, very actively involved um, because my publisher, which is an imprint of, Ma- of Amplify, it's it's Mascot Books. Uh, it's a hybrid publisher, and so uh, even though they use the same printing, you know, houses and distribution companies that your big publishers do, uh, it's not a traditional publishing agreement. So my rights aren't signed away. Um, on the flip side of that is you know, I have to cover the expenses of the design and the printing, mm-hmm. which thankfully things like Kickstarter helped with tremendously. Um, so I have a luxury there of, of you know, having uh, a group of dedicated readers to help me make that dream come true. So I used uh, the designer who designed the first book, no longer worked for that publisher, and uh, I wanted him anyway. So I basically said, look, I got to have Ricky. And so I worked with Ricky uh, for many, many months, tweaking the design before we got it to uh, the publisher. Well, the publisher already had the manuscript and we were working that side of it. But the design was being uh, done with with Ricky. And it was, uh, and and I mean, there's other people involved as well. Victor Sizemore took all the you know, photographs, um, mm-hmm. did an amazing job. Connor Query did some paintings, watercolor paintings of 
the various campuses of Wild Turkey, which had come from some photographs that uh, Bo Garrett had, um, Bo who works there at Wild Turkey. Mm-hmm. Um, but I told Ricky I wanted it to like, because like there was this pirate book that my wife and I used to read to m- my son, and it had this look to it where it was like a journal kind of, and it it kind of was real interactive and made you feel like you were kind of in, you know, in this mystery. And I told Ricky, I said, I want it to look like a pirate book, but not look like a pirate book. Like I want it to have that kind of aesthetic, but I don't want someone mm-hmm. to look at it and go like, that looks like a pirate book. So it has that kind of pirate book journal kind of look, but without anything like super screaming out like this is, you know, any type of maritime thing. So anyway, uh, that's where the the look of it comes from. But yes, uh, there was a lot of back and forth with Ricky, but... The good news is, is that I really like working with Ricky as a designer because uh, he, like, if I explain something to him, uh, he understands what I mean, and we don't mm-hmm. have to don't have to kind of wrestle with ideas very often. It's like we we kind of come to things pretty quickly, and we can shoot each other down pretty quickly too if something doesn't look right or whatever, and no one gets offended. So uh, he does a very good job of communicating as well as designing. And uh, the, the, pho- the photography, I told Vic, you know, I wanted something a little bit different than the first book. So the first book, we had to have a lot of shots that were kind of like catalog shots where we're trying to like display each expression so people get an mm-hmm. idea. Um, and I, on this one, I, I told him, you know, go, go a little bit more artsy. Don't be afraid to, you know do something different that you wouldn't necessarily do with American spirit. And and I thought he captured that really well. A lot of close-ups of the glass and the corks and uh, just different environments outdoors and in like hotel rooms where it's kind of dim lighting and uh, just, just a lot of uh, artistic shots that helped go hand in hand with that kind of informal look of the book itself. You know, you said pirate book and, I, after you said that, I had to reach over. I have it on the, the table that's right next to me here. I had to pick it up and look at it, right? <laughs> and exactly. Like, you yeah. know, if, if I look at this and I look at the, the interior of it, right, and it's not going to pick up great, but, like, the way the text is, the way everything kind of works across the screen or across the, the page there, congratulations, perfect. Like, this, well, this is it. And, and it, it is it is an incredibly interactive book. Um, because you have, you know, you have the posts that you've done, but you also have commentary. And right. one of the things that I, I sort of caught right off the, the bat, and you know, you've been around the internet long enough to know that the internet absolutely loves lists, right? Yep. If you make a video about lists, you make a post about lists, it's going to skyrocket. Yep. That's and, and I hate doing lists because it's just my list or whatever. But the first, the first post that you put in this book, right? It references a list, but you've got a little commentary here kind of about whatever it is like, was that intentional or was it just, you know, one of those things that sort of happened as a, as a circumstance, but it does kind of, um, match that, you know, known behavior of internet types. Well, the, the list just come from creating blog content over the years, Mm -hmm. that idea about Russell's, um, I don't remember exactly how it came to me. I do remember writing it um, in like the, my car was getting some work done. And mm-hmm. I remember doing that in, in Aiken, South Carolina, which was close to where I worked. And uh, the list just kind of come like, well, you've got end of the year, best of lists that, you know, that's just kind of comes with the, the territory. Um, but there are some other 
interesting list in there that maybe are what I feel are unique that mm-hmm. other, you know, bloggers or, you know, YouTubers haven't done. Like I have one in there. I think it's the essence of Eddie Russell, I believe is in, in, in the, and then I had the essence of Jimmy Russell. And so it's a list of their greatest hits. Kind of like, you know, what, what sets, you know, Eddie apart from Jimmy, which expressions can we classify as these are Eddie's. And then as for, as far as Jimmy goes, you know, m- you know, made sure that like American honey was on there. Cause like, that's a big deal. Well, it was wild turkey liqueur when he came out with it, but mm-hmm. that was the first flavored bourbon. And, um, uh, of course, one ones on there and Kentucky spirit, et cetera. But, uh, you know, it, 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 it kind of comes with the territory, like you said, with having lists, but I, I don't try to, I don't think of it like when I'm, you know, coming up with ideas, I don't think, well, you know, is this going to get a lot of readers? It's more like, it's got to be something that I'm going to enjoy. So, you know, I try to, I try to, when I do list pieces, I try to make sure that they're list pieces that I'm going to enjoy. And that there's, there's some areas in the book where you can make your own list. So that the, mm-hmm. there was a whole, you know, kind of thing to try to have some interactive elements in the the book, like where you can make your, you can fill in a thing where your own blends or with, uh, you know, your uh, bunker, you know, or what is it? A whiskey time capsule. I think is mm-hmm. the, the piece where you can kind of, you know, make a list of which whiskeys you would set aside. Um, you know, it, the whole point of that was kind of to have some interactivity. What I really wanted to do, which, I, it just, I didn't have a lot of time to, to, to plan out, you know, this element on the tech side. So it just, we, we, we changed our mind, but originally I was going to have it where there was like a QR code or something on the list where you could take a picture with your phone after you did your list or something mm-hmm. and it would notify me and I could share it on social media or something like that. But there was a whole back end piece that has nothing to do with writing or wild Turkey that I'm very unfamiliar with. So I didn't go down that that hole like I originally thought I would, but um. yeah. And, and and when I say I, I'm, I'm going to amend sort of my question slash statement, when I say I don't like lists, I don't like making lists myself because I don't ever feel like like you know I don't have the authority to give anybody a list of what should and should not be good. But if I'm going looking for lists, there are people that I absolutely am going to hone in. And if I'm thinking about wild turkey, obviously you're going to be at the top of oh, the well, list of people you would think about. Um, and then you know other people that you kind of get trust in over the time. And so it it, it wasn't a criticism of lists in general. It was just saying I'm I'm not going to make one because no one should listen to me but there are voices that should be listened to and and sort of you're one of those people um i love this idea of the the bunker thing and the blend your own those are um things that sort of you know kind of resonate with me one of the things that i've done in the past is whenever you know i buy a bottle and i find something that's just really amazing i try to set two two ounces aside and a little you know, a little sample bottle, like we've all got, you know, 4 million of these things floating around. I've got a little box yeah. and kind of catalog it, you know, maybe in 10 or 15 years, I'm not going to save the entire bottle. You know, I've got this, you know, wild turkey father and son, 13 year, right? I'm not going to save that whole bottle because I want to drink it because it's delicious, but I want to make yeah. sure I've got two ounces that I forgot about that I saved in my closet over here that I can sort of come back to. But um, over the course of, you know, writing the blog, which kind of becomes the the text of, of, of what you're doing um, for Wild Turkey Musings. Um, you, there's this part in here where you talk about, you know, when, when Campari reach Campari, I'm going to say it wrong there, reaches out to you in 2018. Um, there's, there's sort of a feel like, did you have a feeling when they reach out to you in 2018 that you're like, all right, like here it is. I've hit something. Well, I certainly, you know, had a sense of pride 
I had written a piece called um, uh, The New Golden Age of Wild Turkey and Why You Should Be Paying Attention. And uh, I had, uh, yeah, someone from Campari reach out and said, hey, we really like this piece. Um, we would love to share it on Twitter, which I wasn't active on at that time. And they're like, would you be okay with that? And I was like, absolutely. This is awesome, you know? So they tweeted it all out on the main Wild Turkey account, which generated a good bit of traffic, you know, for the blog. But it was, um, yeah, it was nice. It was it was cool to like, I mean, I remember getting the email. I mean, I was at work and I got it on my phone and I was just like, this is awesome. Um, but it, it's nice to have someone recognize your work and your passion. It's even better when that person, you know, is someone from the company that you're writing about, or at least a product of theirs uh, or brand of theirs that, that you're writing about. So it meant a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And it still does. I mean, I, you know, I'm in, I would call regular communication with Campari. Like, you know, I have all, all kinds of questions that I, I like to ask about mm-hmm. various releases or, you know, how things are going with the visitor center or the single barrel program or whatever. I like to keep that, that connection there. Um, not an employee of, you know, of Campari, but I certainly, uh, try to stay in communication with them as, as regular as possible when, when needed. So, and you, you, you've talked about this, this book being interactive and it absolutely is. And, um, you know, I, I got this book, I put it in my travel bag. I travel a little bit for work and I was, um, sitting in an airport in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, which no one should ever go to. There's not really a good reason to be there unless you accidentally end up there because your plane into Minneapolis gets rerouted because of snow. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I have this book out and I'm kind of reading through the things and I realize, you know, like you know, some of this stuff, I could go back to rare bird one-on-one and I could read some of these posts. Um, but we've got this situation, you know, if, if, if you could walk into an airport and you see a ton of people holding out their phones, reading to it, you know, we've got this idea that, you know, everybody's become digital zombies. They're just kind of looking at a book or they're looking at their phones. They're completely attached right. to it. And if we were to replace that phone with a book, which is exactly what you did or a newspaper, a magazine, those, you know, downward croon necks staring at a thing becomes okay. Mm-hmm. And so you've kind of recreated your digital content in, in almost a, a regressive way for some, you know, uh, super digital type people to make people be able to feel comfortable being able to kind of read through it. But then you add in these little notes that come along with each post, um, which kind of sets the stage. You, you know, you, you mentioned it when you talk about the first one where you're, you know, I was in a uh, lobby of an auto repair shop for a few hours because hmm. we all form this idea of, you know, what you're doing when you write a post, right? Mm-hmm. You've sat down at your desk where you, you know, every single day, this is where you write. And that's largely not, how writing always happens sometimes right. where you can cram it in, in between kids bedtimes or, yep. you know, soccer or football or whatever game thing that your children happen to be involved in. Exactly. I, I like this. This this is truly, truly interactive. Um, what, I guess, what brought that idea into your head or is that just something you, you knew you wanted to do for a long time? Well, so, I mean, I knew that the anniversary of the blog was coming and I had thought about things that I could do. And of course, like on the top of my head was like, okay, picking a barrel, like pick a fifth anniversary barrel and make this big deal about it and see if I can get something special. And, uh, the thing is that that's not very easy to do because things don't always time out the way you want them to. So you could pick a barrel with plenty of time, 
but it may not be bottled in time. You just, you that's out of your control. Uh, and then only so many to go around. So you pick a barrel, you get 150 bottles or whatever. And it's like, who's going to get them. And then that's it. You mm-hmm. know? Um, so I was thinking, well, how can I have like, like a anniversary thing and make it kind of cool for everybody. And, and I'm a big fan of Chuck Cowdery as you, you might've read in the book. Um, and he has a couple books that in a lot of ways are compilations of some of his blog posts and articles that he's written for the bourbon country reader. And I thought that was really cool. I was like, Oh, this is kind of neat because I've read this before. I like, I would I was reading the book and I'm like, I've read this before. I think this was on his blog. And I went and looked it up like it is. Okay. And I was like, okay, so I'm going to do this. I'm going to go and find my favorite posts. And I was just going to take them down to the local printer and just kind of just Mm -hmm. do something really simple. Like, you know, it looked kind of nice. Like I wasn't shooting to do like a, a, a real deal book book. And I was going to see like if I could get something done where it was kind of like a compilation and maybe make it where it was like, you know, 10 bucks a copy or something like that, where it was just a little bit more, not homemade, but not quite the level of a, of a you know, genuine book publication. And the more I started working on it, I'm like, I'm putting a lot into this, you know? And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to just see if anybody is interested in making this a real book. And so I talked to a few people and they're like, yeah, if you do the Kickstarter thing, I'll definitely contribute. And I'm like, even if it's like a compilation thing, you know, and like, no, I'd love, I'd love to see what you do with that. So I'll put it up there and, you know, I raised more for the second one. than I did the first one. And a lot of it is, is, uh, you know, published content and stuff that's already out there. Um, so I knew once I started raising money for it, that I, I would have to make sure that, you know, I give people, you know, what they paid for, you know, it's just, I can't just copy paste and print, you know? So that's when the conversation started with, with Vic and, and Ricky and just making sure that we could make something that was worth selling and, and that would be worth buying, you know, from from a customer. So, uh, anyway, that's, that's how we got to that. It was, it was a me kind of slowly figuring out how to do this anniversary thing. And then once I realized that it could be funded, then I knew I could make it something special and had to make it something special. Mm-hmm. So, it, and you, you just kind of touched on, you know, picking a barrel and that's uh, sort of a, a super fun experience. Do you have kind of a memory of, of, of a barrel pick that's like been, that's the one, that's the best one that I've picked to date, you know, because I've had a few things that you've been a part of picking and they're always fantastic. But do you, oh, thank you. do you build a favorite in to your brain? Um. You know, not, I mean, there are some barrels that I've picked that, that I like better than others. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm happy with every barrel I've, I've picked. There's not one that I'd go, oh gosh, you know, I wish I really wish I had not picked that one. Uh, some of them were picked under certain circumstances, which weren't ideal. Like when, when COVID was happening, uh, I had to pick barrels from home via mm-hmm. samples and that's not as, fun especially when you're limited to the number of samples and you just kind of have to do the best you can um i did get the best kentucky spirit i've ever picked out of it mm-hmm. um which is one of my favorite barrels you know as far as profile goes that i've ever done uh but i'd have to say that i appreciate the experience more than the whiskey itself there's just something really special 
about picking a barrel, uh, whether it's in Rickhouse A or I've had some where it was just me and some friends at a table with Eddie in a restaurant. Um, and, and those can be equally as fun. You don't have to have that, you know, uh, you know, experience of being in the Rick house to have a good time doing a barrel pick. Um, so as far as a favorite goes, nothing, you know, you, you, you can't ever have a first again. Like once you mm-hmm. do your first, that's your first forever. So the first Turkey barrel pick I did was me and a gentleman named Adam Howard who managed a local store here and Eddie Russell, uh, along with Amy McClam, who's the South Carolina representative for Campari and my dad, who was my designated driver. <laughs> and, uh, but it was just us in this country club and me and Adam and Eddie just sat there and tasted a bunch of whiskey and talked about it. And he answered a bunch of questions that we had. And, um, we drank cheesy gold foil when we got done. And it, I mean, it's hard to like that first experience. I mean, I was a nervous wreck going in. I'd, I'd met Eddie before, but I had never done a barrel pick. And I felt like there was a lot of pressure on me to like pick the best Turkey. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, thankfully Eddie really helped guide that one. Honestly. I, I mean, I was so dumbstruck and, and like just kind of overwhelmed cause it was like my first barrel pick and I was thinking too hard. I wasn't just going with my gut. And, uh, you know, Eddie kind of, you know, alluded that there was this one that he really thought was special and he wanted me to taste it again. And he was right. And that became my first barrel, which was one in a century. Um, so I was glad that he was there to kind of nudge me along, um, on that one. Uh, and then, uh, it's hard to beat that first experience. So in 2019, I went to the distillery and, um, did a barrel pick on site, my first on, on site barrel pick there at wild Turkey. And it was magical. And every time I go and do a barrel pick at Turkey, it's magical. Mm-hmm. Um, but that first time was just really unique. It was, you know, Eddie was at, um, it was at, at the, at the, um, Rick house. Eddie was there. Bruce was there. Joanne was there. And I had about 10 of my patrons and we just had a blast and, and Victor was there taking pictures. Uh, and then Jimmy was back at the visitor center. And, uh, so it was just, I spent the day, with Eddie sipping whiskey and then with Jimmy just talking about wild Turkey, uh, for a couple of hours or hour, at least an hour. And, um, it was just a magical day. So it's hard, it's hard to like, you can't have those first over again. So, um, yeah, you, you, you can't separate the, the nostalgia from the, the, the final output at, at that point. And well, just, it was just so exciting. Cause I, you know, like yeah. what's going to happen, what is this going to, everything's new. So like, when I go on a, a barrel pick now, I'm kind of used to the formula. I'm kind of used to, you know, what we're going to do and everything. Um, doesn't make it any less special because you're right. tasting new whiskey every time. And and Bruce is leading a lot of the uh, barrel selection processes now. And he has his own rhythm that's different than Eddie. And, and you know, it's, it's each time is special and fun. And then uh, in March of this year, did a barrel pick at Turkey. Uh, and they were like closed. So Jimmy had to meet us at the gates and un- unlock the gates for us to get into the Rick houses. And then Denny Potter and Jane mm-hmm. Bowie from Maker's Mark, well, formerly from Maker's Mark, yep. were, uh, they were with Maker's Mark at the time. They came along with me to do the barrel pick along with uh, Trevor from Maker's and uh, Pablo Moy from Rare Character and Ryan from Justice House of Bourbon and, and several of my, my friends and Patreon supporters. It was awesome. 
And uh, just, I mean, I mean, I could pretty much name every barrel pick I've ever done and say it was mm-hmm. awesome. So um, hard, hard to pick <laughs> a favorite. The first just stand out because they were magical being that first, right. you know. You don't you don't want to make a bad pick, and you, you you touched on being able to to drink you know cheesy gold foil, and we all know that the world of of, of dusty turkey is sort of kind of blowing up. Oh yeah. But kind of backing up from the idea of you know I'm going to ask about that a little bit later, but um, this is going to be a, it's going to be a weird question. It's going to be long and winding, and we'll get to the end of it. I promise. So, okay. Um, you you may know this, but hopefully somebody who's watching doesn't know this or listening. Um, Plato had this concept called the realm of forms, right? And and basically the idea of the realm of forms was that everything that exists has kind of a a perfect version of it that's not necessarily visible in the physical world, uh, and everything that we see just sort of mimics it. And so we have this idea in our brain, and if you think about you know tastes or whatever, you know the the, the idea of banana to me is different than the idea of banana to you because I could be the actual banana and you could be artificial banana flavoring or banana runs or banana pudding right. or, or some other thing, right? They're all sort of varied. They're all different forms of the best thing. But if you were to think about you know, wild turkey design, mm-hmm. bottle label, um, or just actual product, like what is the quintessential realm of forms version of wild turkey like if if you were to pick a year of a bottle label or a type or a brand style or you know is it oh, Russell's, okay. is it whatever you're talking about profile wise um it could be anything right because we can talk about profile flavor wise or we can talk about design right because sort of in and maybe to seed this if i were to think okay. about it if you go back to some of the original austin nichols wild turkey label designs those are some of the most beautiful designs that exist and everything since then to me feels slightly off from that. Like there's a, there's a real distinct identity, but then flavor profile could be a completely different conversation. Yeah. I think that I'll do, I'll say it this way. Mm -hmm. Um, If you want to, if you want to find something that's quintessential wild Turkey in a store right now, because I, mm-hmm. if we could go back in time, I could I could say 1981, 1018, and all this kind of stuff. And you know, the the average person listening is is not going to be able to. The majority of people listening aren't going to be able to acquire it unless they want to, you know, really dig into their checkbook or credit mm-hmm. card. Um, uh, but if you want something that you can go out right now and feel good about, like you know that, that you've got the quintessential wild turkey. And I, I've said this on other podcasts before, and, it, and and I mean it. Go to the liquor store and buy a handle of Wild Turkey 101. Mm-hmm. And tell me that doesn't feel good walking out that store with a handle of 101. There's just something about a big-ass bottle of Wild Turkey 101 and walking out with it. It just feels mm-hmm. good. And it's, you know, it's just that classic turkey profile. Uh, well, it's mo- a modern take on the classic turkey profile. Uh, but you know, it's 101 proof and six to eight years roughly. And it's just that profile that, that Jimmy has, you know, wanted people to enjoy for years. Of course, there's always variants. And mm-hmm. I know that what you taste, you know, from the eighties or nineties, isn't going to taste like what we taste now, but, um, it's, uh, it's like, I, I think I, this is even in the book when I, I think there's a chapter called what's a dusty and, and I talk about this, like, you know, what makes dusty whiskey, dusty whiskey. Mm-hmm. And you can, you know, people, I've actually seen people, and unfortunately use this word, call Jimmy like a liar for saying that nothing has changed. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, Jimmy is right in his mind. Nothing has changed. Like he, he views the making of, of wild Turkey, uh, the same, just because the facilities change or the equipment changes doesn't mean that they're making something different. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I think I liken it to a chef where you could put a chef in one kitchen and give him a different set of tools and pans and, and stove and, you know, uh, ingredients and say, make me this, you know, and he's going to make it and then go to a different place with a whole different setup and everything. And then say, make me the same thing. You know, he's going to, in his head, he's making it the same way, even though he's using different tools or equipment to do that. So, um, I guess the long, if I wrap up this, this question in a, you know, the, to just try to make it as, as condensed as possible, just get a bottle of one one mm-hmm. bottle of wild Turkey. One one is, is just to me, that's, that's quintessential Turkey. Um, and I, I love that one-on-one is, is in this resurgence because, you know, I know in 2000, 2001, 2002, when I first, when, in 2001, when I first had my first drink of anything that was alcohol related, because I was 21 years old, I'd never had anything before in my life. You know, wow, that would be that would have been illegal. That would have been illegal <laughs> if you follow what I'm I saying. I believe you. Um, <laughs> Wild Turkey had a completely different reputation than it does right now, and I, you know, I I, I, I credit some of that to, to to people like you, where you've kind of taken this thing and saying, okay, look, there's a little more to it than what we remember as 2021. 20, yeah. 17 16 19 eight year old kids kind of you know just exploring a specific thing um and it, it is a shame for someone to kind of look at look at something and say okay well everything is different and and the reality is is even if you run back for 30 years um everything is blends for for a reason because every barrel can come out completely different um you know like there's this whole process that goes into blending whiskey it would be a lot easier for them to just roll up the next barrel Mm-hmm. and bottle it and roll down the next barrel and bottle it. Well, they have to blend because even if you use the exact same equipment and the exact same building and put it into the same concept of barrels, what comes out the other end may, may be different. And that's why you have to blend back to a true, true sense. And so right, I, I agree with what he's saying. It's like, you know, nothing's changed because they understand the profile that they're trying to chase. They understand what they're after and they're going to do their dead little best. And Well, it's just, it's it, difficult. You know, in, in his head, I would mm-hmm. imagine that, you know, Bill Hughes taught him a certain way and, and in his head, he understands that. And there's, there's boundaries and there's rules and he stays within those boundaries and rules. That's how he makes his whiskey. And to him, that's, that's the same, you know, are profiles different? Sure. I mean, every distillery out there, I mean, I've got seventies beam, I've got seventies mm-hmm. makers mark. I mean, they don't taste like, today's makers they don't taste like today's beam but that doesn't mean today's makers isn't good or Mm -hmm. today's beam isn't good and they would probably tell you the same thing yeah we we're we're doing what we did back in 1950 something whatever Mm -hmm. you know and you know to a large degree they're right but things change you know the water changes the 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 tanks change the the stills get changed out i mean there's all kinds of factors. And mm-hmm. I will say that makers is probably the closest, you know, their, their profile yep. is probably closer to their dusty profile than a lot of other distilleries, mainly because they've changed less than other people have. Right. Like they still rotate their barrels. 
which is something that Turkey used to do, but doesn't anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they haven't changed their entry proof, which wild Turkey has. Um, so they, and they still have a few Cypress tanks. They're they're for show, but mm-hmm. they still use the, the mash. It's not like it's completely out of the picture. So it is of course tucked in and blended in with, you know, other mash. Yeah. It, you know, steel it's likely buried stuff. deep enough to not have a huge impact on the final blend because the mm-hmm. volume that comes out of the Cypress tanks isn't huge. Right. Right. The, the fact, but the fact is it's there. So they yeah. are closer, uh, you know, in profile from their modern, but it's still not the same. Like you put dusty makers next to modern weight makers and there's a difference, you know, mm-hmm. it's just not as notable as some other places. Plus, I mean, they're bottling at 90 proof and, you know, so you've, you've got a good bit more water there where if you're comparing something like, you know, rear breed, you know, that, that, that's uncut, there's going to be a, a different from like difference from like a 92, rare breed to today's rare breed yeah and i mean and, and you can't recreate and this is the i've talked about this before in past episodes like there, there are certain things that you cannot change you know like health standards and in, in in you know osha type concepts and distilling and bottling facilities was incredibly different in the 70s than it is now sure. and what they allow yeah. i mean there are people standing on a bottling line in the 60s smoking a cigarette while they were bottling stuff but like yeah. all of these things may have some degree of an impact but and and you and, can't and, well there's other things too there's the whole fact that like back before this industry really became what it is now um and and some of this is still there in in personality but it was really almost like a a bunch of farmers helping each other so it was like you know do you can i borrow this can i have this you know i'll give you this for that can you help me do this for that there was a lot more distilleries helping other distilleries so you know in the the 60s say for example maybe their yeast goes bad they go to they pick up the phone and call one of the other distilleries hey can we use some of your yeast sure you know um or we're short on barrels this week and we need a few more to you know to to finish this product you know is there can we come buy a few barrels from you sure and like that goes into the into the blend and you would never know, you know? Yeah. It was a and, lot more of that helping each other out kind of stuff back then, uh, before like the foreign companies started taking over and that type of thing. And it still feels like even in the tactical operations in Kentucky for a lot of these places, that sort of relationship still exists. Cause you, you go to any type of a festival or any type of an event and in other industries, a lot of the times those types of people don't interact. Competitors are not necessarily going to be friendly with each other. They'll acknowledge each other. They know the names, but they're not like, let's go have dinner after the event ends. Let's, you know, share. I've got something cool here. You try that. Like you see more interaction that exists between these, these, these groups of people. But even if we, we think about that sharing, like the barrels that were being, being made 20 years ago were coming off of old growth trees. And you can't even find that anymore. Like, that's not a thing. You're not having a, you know, a hundred year old tree, a 75 year old tree going into making a barrel. So now you're one of the most foundational things that's going to impart a lot of flavor. It's changing as well. Flavor profiles are going to change over time. It is what it is. Um, But if, if I want to get into dusty Turkey, right. If I, if I, if I want to get into truly dusty Turkey, What's the thing? Like, what 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 should I be looking for? That is number one, not going to cost me my house. Okay, and number two, just going to be good. Oh well, the the tough part is now is that people are paying a lot more 
for bottles that in my opinion they shouldn't be paying that much for mm -hmm. like uh, you know i've had the luxury of trying a bunch of really good wild turkey over the years some are better than others very few are ones that i would pay big money for and even fewer ones that i would pay what anybody's remotely asking for now because some of these prices are just just ridiculous for for and that not just for wild turkey but for a lot of labels um it's so hard to find the stuff now like i mean when i first got started you could drive around and visit a bunch of small stores and you might luck out and find some you know austin Lickle, nickels you know label you know, mm -hmm. 101 from the 2000s, you know, I found a good many of those um, for a long time there from 200 milliliters to, to liter bottles, uh, tons of those. Um, you used to could get a lot of the travel retail stuff, like the travel retail tradition, fairly cheap, you know, for being a, a 90s bottling. Um, even like when I first got started, like Cheesy Goldfall was 250. So, mm -hmm. I mean, that just, just to give you some perspective, <laughs> um those were the days right and even then i was like that was a lot of money that was like really and but it felt worth it like you know mm -hmm. like um and if you so, could go back and put all of your retirement savings into those things and have them on hand now to sell to people <laughs> I mean, the thing is though i i just it, that's the tough part really yep. is you know and nothing against anyone that 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 has to do that or um you know it feels like they need to but i know there's opportunists out there that that do it with the, the you know new releases that kind of thing which you know that irks me but you know like I, yep. I don't i'm not i don't have anything against anyone that like if they have a dusty collection and they sell it whatever and they put a lot of time curating that collection whatever that's awesome i mean you know you put a lot of time into getting those bottles um you should get your money's worth for them um, that's not the same thing to me as the dude that like is stalking the liquor store distributor mm -hmm. truck, driving, following him from town to town. Legitimate speculative purchases. Like they're, right. They're and then goes and cleans the them out and then sells them in his car a few minutes later. You know, <laughs> that's, that's different. You know, um, yeah, th this is why we end up standing out in the cold at uh, whiskey lotteries in December as they try to, you know, hand out their allocated whiskeys. Cause they put them out on the shelf. The first guy that rolls in that is a flipper is going to walk in and be like, all right, let me take all of these and I'm going to go hop on the internet. And, you know, Kentucky has this situation where we're, you know, now have the ability to purchase um, vintage spirits from retailers, right? They've, they've, yep. they've passed law. We've got these people sure. that are in here because the other side of the, the buying, you know, dusties is, is it actually what's in the bottle? Like did somebody, you know, counterfeit this and that legitimately happens specifically on right. higher end price stuff that, that's kind of out there. And it's a, you know, it's a thing you want to, you want to find an old one. Like that's, that's the, I think if you look at people who collect whiskey, right, they start off, they want all the allocations and then they kind of dip off and they're like, you know, allocation doesn't matter as much more. I want to try a bunch of single barrels. I want to try something that is unique. They're different to the flavor profiles. And then you kind of work your way through that. And now you're like, all right, I want to taste what history was i want to go back and i want to have these old things and so it creates this market uh, sure but you you hope you see them opened as opposed to just kind of sitting on people's shelves well i mean i, I think at some point in time yeah i mean whiskey's made to be consumed but mm -hmm. even the dusty that you're opening today wouldn't be there if somebody had opened it right before so you there is kind of like a a measure of of you know you have to kind of think about it. You don't want to just go open them all, you know? So, mm -hmm. you know, there, there does need to be some restraint, but, 
uh, you know, going back to your question about dusties and counterfeit and this type of thing, I, that's why I support, uh, you know, companies like Justin's house of bourbon, because, uh, you know, they actually have people that are hired like Caroline to, to do history on the bottles and brands, uh, and to make sure that the, these bottles that they purchase from people and then resell are truly vintage and, and, you know, unmolested and, and, and authentic in every possible way. And, um, she does a really great job at that. I, I had some conversations with her about how she does that. And she puts a lot of time into making sure that those are bottles that, you know, they have confidence in. And yes, they, I've, I've heard people complain, well, it just, it costs more than it does to buy there than it does on the secondary. And I'm like, well, I mean, they have rent and utilities and, yeah. and, have to pay but, people to employ people, <laughs> you know, yeah, and, and you're not, also buying and it's not, and it's not illegal. Safe about, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's exactly it's legal. Number one. So that, that's a big one, yeah. but it, it, it's, it feels safer. And you know, if there is any question about it, you've got somebody to sort of talk to about it as opposed to right. a person that disappears off of the internet. Sure. Um, and then what are you buying? Do you ever really know? I mean, until no. you pop the cork, you don't. And even for some people, Yes, they may not even have the experience to know that either. So this that's is how that's what you're buying at Justin's house or or uh, I think right. revival you, revival that's in Northern Kentucky or whatever is it. You want to know that what you're getting is quality exactly. Yeah, they have the experience to feel comfortable that they know that this is truly right. what it's supposed to be. And so now you can build that as opposed to you know you buy a Jim Beam decanter off of Facebook and you hope that they just didn't re you know refill it with a bunch of eight star or something. You know? Yeah, and a lot of it too is. Is, is you do it every day, you know, you get a feel for kind of like, you kind of know it when you see it, like something just doesn't feel right. And also like a place like Justin's has, uh, you know, a library that they can go back and refer to. So if someone brings mm -hmm. in, you know, a Pappy from 2007, well, they've got other Pappies from that same year. They can compare them to and make sure that the, you know, the seal and everything looks exactly the, the paper, same. the, the right. label on the paper and make sure right. you, you and I don't have the luxury of having yeah. a library that we can re make references to. It's like, we just have to take it at face value. So it's nice to have that. Um, so yeah, totally support what they do. Yeah. I was, uh, I, I had the, the benefit. I had a friend that was working at, um, a liquor store in, um, Nulu and he's now with Justin's house of bourbon. But while I was there, they were, um, looking over a vintage bottle and they had brought him in, you know, kind of, he was going over the provenance of it and was it right. And it was a legitimately counterfeited bottle. Like he, he brought it out and he, you know, these letters, these letters are raised and they're shiny and they shouldn't be because that wasn't the printing. Like he knew the things like, I'd have been like, ah, it looks yeah. right to me. And so, you know, it, it's kind of a, it, it's a, it's a great way to participate and being able to pick up things that you shouldn't be able to find anymore and feel comfortable about it. But um, we'll, we'll shift a little bit because we're getting right up on an hour and I don't want to steal too much of your time. Okay. Um, you've got a pretty significant Patreon community. Um, and Good in time. that there are some uh, opportunities for us to be able to pick up um, single barrel offerings that you've done. Yep. Um, it, how many picks have you done with rare characters so far? Oh, wow. Uh a lot. <laughs> Pablo's a friend. So, mm -hmm. you know, I've, I've done, let's see. So I've got two that are, I've got three that are just kind of sitting there right now waiting, mm -hmm. uh, to, to be right. I've got one that's a, a rum finished bourbon. Uh, that's, uh, it's a six year bourbon that was put into a, a four square exceptional cask, um, you know, empty cask that has been resting for a while and probably rest a little bit longer. I've got an, another straight ride, another straight bourbon in the works. 
um, some other secret projects in the works there with rare character. But as far as come out, I've, I have a, uh, a straight rye, a straight bourbon, and a PX Sherry finished uh, bourbon. All those have come out and they're all gone now, but uh, mm-hmm. those, those go pretty quickly. Um, surprisingly, yeah. the- I mean, for the price, they go very quickly. There, I mean, so Rare Character was one of those, and I, I honed in on it specifically because I was able to snag up the ride that you did um, through the Patreon community. Um, it was a, a label that sort of hit to me, and it, it, there's a ton of new brands that hit the market all the time. So you're always looking for, you know, who, who's somebody that's reputable that's pairing with this particular yeah. um, label so you can kind of feel comfortable that this is going to be good because, you know, a lot of people are buying a lot of different things and you've got some that are a little bit more nefarious on doing, you know, finishes that um, are wet finishes. You know, you can, yeah. you can use some, some terminology to kind of yeah, get basically on. Basically a liqueur. <laughs> and effectively. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and, and which one's a legitimate, which one's not. And so yeah. you kind of, I watched several rare characters come out and whenever I, I saw, okay, you, you're doing this, this right. I'm like, perfect. Now I can kind of jump in and, and it's really fantastic. Like it's it's just a really, really, really good selection. Um, well, thank you. We we that one was an instant from everybody. The second we tasted it, it was just like that. That was that was a done deal. Um, yeah, that 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 one and the and the sherry were done on the same night. I also I, sh- I forgot to mention I did a collaboration with um, Jay West from uh, well Tate, uh, who's a moderator for Reddit. Mm-hmm. Um, we did a Amberana rye um, that was uh, just really complex. And, you know, I offered it to my patrons. We didn't have enough folks interested. So Jay and I did a 50, 50 kind of collaboration. There was at least one person that was interested. <laughs> yeah. We had just had they, a little bit more, which, which yeah. is so funny. Cause those things just fly. I mean, they, they the really do. I, I have one sample bottle that somebody sent me um, of one because I haven't been able to pick one up locally. And, um, every time it's an online thing, I usually try to scurry and I'm the last one because you know, just the way work happens. Um, but since I had that one, I've been like, I have to have a bottle. I don't even, at this point, I'm borderline, don't care who's uh, doing the pick. I need it to be legit because that is, of the finishes that exist out there, it's one of the most unique that I've ever come across. Sure, sure. The first time I, I did an Amberana pick was with Starlight. We did a, mm-hmm. a cigar batch bourbon. Um, and I'd never, you know, nosed anything like that before. And when we were there picking it that day, he actually, you know, pulled the bung and passed the bung around and that, I mean, it's, it's like, whew, it really, it wakes you up. It's, it's a very pungent wood, um, Amberana. And, uh, in March I visited, uh, Pablo's bottling facility at Bluegrass Mm-hmm. And he had uh, some fresh Amberana barrels that had just come in um, from Brazil and uh, not even been used yet. And he's like, you've got to smell this. And he pulls the bung and this sounds weird, but I put my nose in the bung hole <laughs> and uh, it about knocked me out. I mean, it was just mm-hmm. overwhelming. The the Amberana just, it really is. Poof, it's like, it's like sticking your face in a potpourri bowl or something. Mm-hmm. So it was quite, um, quite impressive, but it, it you know, I'm, I'm one of those that like, I can't drink Ambrana whiskey every day. Some people right. just love the heck out of it. Like they drink it like it's root beer to me. It's such a crazy profile that it's a, a mood pour. So, you know, yeah. if I'm in the right mindset, you know, I want something really flavorful like that. 
um, where it has that kind of root beer candy, you know, licorice type of thing, then I'll go for it. Yeah. Um, and you, you have to spend some time almost thinking about it, you know, like whatever it comes out and it, it's a mood pour for me as well, but it's one of those that I want to make sure I have and that bottle, whatever sure. Ambirana that I have will last forever because I'm not drinking. It's it's like, I'm not drinking more than one or two in sure. any given night because after yes. a while it's like, okay, I've beat up my, my yes. palate. You pretty point. much destroy your palate at that point. It's like a peated scotch. It's That's like, what I was going to say. Scotch. Yeah. You kind of commit to that for the day. And that was, that was how I tasted the first time I had gone through and, you know, I was tasting through a few things with some friends online and I got to the end of the night and, you know, I was like, oh, you know, somebody sent me this. I'm like, I pour a little bit out in the glass and I went downstairs and I'm watching TV and I took a drink. I was like, what the hell was that? Like, what, what, <laughs> what did I just drink? Cause I knew it was supposed to be different, but I didn't know how different it was going to yeah, be. Yeah. Um, it's such a unique thing. Um, so we're, we're closing in on an hour. I want to give you another chance to kind of push out there, you know, where can we buy the book? Where can we okay. do the Patreon to make sure that you're, you're, you're making the money you need to keep doing what you're doing? Oh, because well, thank you know, you. it's all valuable to us. Well, thanks. Um, my blog is rarebird101.com. Uh, there's most of the time you're going to find reviews and maybe some news or some, some stories about my travels to Kentucky. Uh, you can go to wildturkeybook.com to find more information about my two wild turkey books, and, and you can purchase them there through the links there. Um, I'm on Instagram at rarebird101. I'm on Twitter at rbird101. And you can find me at Patreon at patreon.com slash rarebird101. And I really appreciate the support of my readers, my Patreon supporters, my Kickstarter supporters the past, everybody that's ever helped me you know, whether it's helped me, you know, support the hosting of my blog via WordPress to pay to keep the ads off or whether it's to help get a book printed or, you know, or buy a bottle to review. I appreciate everyone's help. I've had nothing but the most generous people from this community help me. And uh, I only have good stories and good things to say, not, not any bad experiences, thankfully. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, yeah. I guess maybe one, one, one last question I have for you. Um, you know, you've got the book that's, you know, supposed to be out in February, but you can't get access to it now. Yep. Are you planning on you know, like doing any book touring or book signing or being at events where people can be like, I can meet the guy, I can bring my book, I can sure. get it signed, you know? I, I'm, I, I'm, my goal is, I mean, I go to Kentucky several times a year now, now that COVID's behind us. Um, or thank, thankfully mm -hmm. knock on wood. Um, I, I, I visit Kentucky to do barrel picks throughout the year. Um, and I do, uh, well, just started back. We, it, we had had to cancel because of COVID, but had a Patreon gathering in, in the fall, a meetup. And I'm hoping to do those twice a year. So mm -hmm. if you're a member of my Patreon community, uh, you know, I'll, I'll have meetups hopefully at least once a year, maybe twice a year. Um, I would love to do like a book signing at the visitor center when they finish it up. I kind of had a brief conversation with, with Courtney there at the distillery about maybe doing something like that. So I would love to do a book signing there. I'm not really interested in doing book signings at like bookstores and stuff very much just mm -hmm. because I'm so niched that especially locally, you know, I'm in the Bible belt and, you know, <laughs> whiskeys, it, you know, not something weird that a thing. lot of people, you know, have a hobby of here, um, or at least not very vocal about it. So, uh, you know, not that it would be a problem. I just don't think I'd get a lot of traffic. Um, right. F foot traffic on a, on a signing of a whiskey book in the buckle yeah. of the Bible belt <laughs> yeah. um, is going to be yeah. a little problematic. I understand that completely. Yeah. And so that's probably not going to happen, but 
yeah, I would love to do something, uh, at, you know, at the distillery, maybe. Um, that'd be great. And then also I'm looking forward to doing a revision of the first book, uh, soon, maybe like, um, maybe let this year have a break here, um, from the book thing. And then maybe next year have a, a revision of American spirit in the works because some things mm -hmm. have changed and we've got new expressions that have come out and, uh, you know, things have changed the distillery a little bit and there's plenty to talk about. Mm -hmm. For sure. It's, I mean, you know, Obviously, we, we're all going to look forward to, to a revision of it. I mean, if we're fans of the original book, we're a fan of Wild Turkey um, Musings. We're a fan of and a Rare Bird 101. We obviously are going to have to have the, the revisions as well. Um, well, cool. Absolutely, absolutely thank you for, for hopping on here. Yeah, um, man. This is the thing that always sort of shocks me about the, the whiskey industry is that everyone seems to be willing to kind of hop on regardless of, you know, whatever your size or reach is or they, you know, they just want to sit down and talk to some folks. And it's always super fun. You know, you, you got anything else you ever need to, to, to publish, promote, deal with whatever. There's always a platform here. Anytime anybody comes on they're welcome back as many times as possible. You may get a few weird questions from time to time. Cause <laughs> I try to try to not cover a hundred percent of what everyone else is going to cover, but you know, you still got to make sure you uh, pay the bills too. Oh, well, well, yeah. And, and thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity. And if you do get any questions or comments on any of your blog sites or YouTube and folks don't at me or tag me or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, feel free to, to shoot it to me and say, Hey, this person had a question and I, yep. I'll jump on there and, and hopefully be able to answer that for them. Yeah, for sure. I appreciate it. Like I said, so, you know, anybody who does come across this, obviously follow David on any social media platform. Cause you know, if he's going to be around a place where you might have an opportunity to meet him, pick up a book, pick up a signature, you want to do that. It's, it's going to likely end up on Instagram or Twitter or wherever uh, you happen to be doing all the things. Yep. But the best way to know is just go to Patreon and, and, yep. and give him a little bit of money every month. Make sure that uh, he keeps produce, producing the good stuff. Thank you. Thank you. Cool. All right. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to boot you off for a minute. I'm going to hit my clothes. I, like I said, I appreciate the time. It's, you know, Sunday afternoon. You, usually that's reserved for family time. So I know the the sacrifice that has to be given here and I, I truly appreciate it. Hey, again, I, I can't say thanks enough for the opportunity and I look forward to uh, sharing this podcast with uh, my supporters and, and, and followers on social media. So thank you, John. Appreciate it. Thank you, David. Thanks for tuning in for this offering from the Embellished Podcast. If you enjoyed this, please leave me a review on whatever platform that you're consuming this on. Leave a comment if possible. Hit me up on social media at Twitter or Instagram using Embellished Pod and give me a follow so you can keep up with what's going on here. I can be found at www.embellishedpod.com with all of my links, accounts, contact details, and more. I'll be back again next week with another new offering for you. So until then, cheers and thanks for hanging out.